Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 9. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. I have to go to work. How often have we heard that expression? How often have we said that when we receive an appealing uh, invitation to which we'd rather attend? I can't go. I've got to go to work. Uh, In itself, the saying I have to go to work is rather a neutral statement of a fact. Uh, You know, I have to get there. I have to do my job. But sometimes uh, it comes uh, for many of us with a note of disappointment uh, when we might say I can't go because I have to go to work. So Mondays to Fridays, whatever shifts we have to do, uh, sometimes can turn into a bit of an endurance test uh, when we'd rather be somewhere else. You know, I'd rather be sailing. TGIF. Yes. Thank God it's Friday. Oh, Friday. Um, Even without full time jobs, I'm sure that some of you teens might know the feeling. You know, I can't do this or that because I've got to do my homework. I've got to clean the room. Got to work around the house and the yard. Oh, my goodness. The frustration about this burden of work is not a new thing. Um, In an amazing statement that Paul makes a couple of chapters before the reading that we just heard, he said this. uh, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Now, Ephesus was a large, um, wealthy, multicultural port city. Uh, There was all kinds of work to do there in construction, um, in all kinds of sales and shops and services. There were all kinds of things that could uh, dazzle the eye and make them appealing uh, in the crowds and the throngs to just pick up a few things and, and rather than go to work just to steal. Now, isn't it amazing what Paul says now? In response to this, uh, the person or people in Ephesus who were stealing, he said, uh, take them off to the court, drag them over to the police, and they've got to be punished for breaking the Eighth Commandment. Well, no, that's not what he said. He said, rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share uh, with one who has need. Thessaloniki was another large, rich uh, port city on the sea, and Paul had to encourage some of the brethren and sisters up there uh, to get busy and go to work. Uh, we know about Demas. Uh, he left the hard work with Paul in the mega city of Rome to travel on over to Thessaloniki and lead the good life. According to Titus 1-2, uh, 1-12, rather similar challenges existed in Crete. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Today, many people struggle with, uh, rather, many people today are buying lottery tickets, 
they want to win the big one. So what? They'll never have to work again. Um, many people, on the other hand, uh, struggle with all kinds of low wages and less than adequate, adequate working conditions. And uh, I think the issue globally has to be a concern for us. Uh, you may remember that in uh, 2013, the Savar uh, garment factory in Bangladesh collapsed, uh, killing 1,130 people. Well, I didn't realize this until that happened, but many of those clothes that those people make are sold in big box stores here in Winnipeg. And I was uh, surprised to find, well, I have some of those in my closet, and maybe you do, but I didn't know about the conditions under which those people work. On our Mexico mission, when we drive back and forth from the camp to the school site to the VBS, we see the kind of harsh and hot conditions that people have to work in uh, for $8 a day. Here at home at our workplaces, we can experience difficulties of our own with our bosses, our co-workers, our clients, our students um, that make uh, work for a Christian uh, rather challenging. And in fact, let's be honest, for many t uh, Christians, working as a Christian with integrity in many of the workplaces today actually makes uh, work harder. So how do we cope and how do we overcome and how do we grow in our work? After all, many of us will spend uh, most of the best waking hours of our, our week and the, probably the majority of our energy getting to our jobs, working, uh, having lunch, getting home and spending huge amounts of time uh, with people that we aren't related to. Uh, work is a hugely important subject in the scriptures. It's mentioned almost 600 times. So how do we transform our working lives into, uh, into days that are really a joyful, a joyful thing uh, with God? Now, I may not convince you that you're going to leave here and say tomorrow, thank God it's Monday. But I think that there, we can get to a place during every working day which we can say, thank God, uh, for this day. Ephesians 6, 1 to 9, from which we heard a part, is, is a sample of what we call a household code. These are guides for living uh, for people of all ages. Uh, they were common in the New Testament and here in Ephesians and Colossians and Timothy and Titus and Peter and in many of the other ancient writings um, that we, uh, we can find from the New Testament era. So in verse 5, Paul says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Now, some of you are going to object immediately to say that passage doesn't apply to me because I'm not a slave today. Let me, let me give you some suggestions here about four compelling reasons why I think uh, this does apply. Number one comes right uh, from the text. If you'll notice in verse 9, he says, And masters, do the same things to them. So all these things he's just laid out for slaves, he's telling the masters, uh, this is how you treat uh, those who are in your employ. The principles apply even to bosses. And bosses have bosses, right? Almost everybody has a boss. I mean, even... The highest ranking person in the world has God as their boss, ultimately. And so uh, it applies to managers and employees, I think, based on this passage, that bosses are to conduct themselves by these same principles that we find in these codes. Okay, so if that doesn't convince you, how about verse 8? Um, the return of the rewards uh, for the good work here applies to both slave and free, uh, for those who are free socially and politically. 
Number three, we may have a, a, a view of slavery that's just too narrow based on what uh, we see in Hollywood. Now, to be sure, a lot of slaves worked under very difficult conditions and did hard labor. Uh, they were rowing Roman warships, uh, constructing pyramids and roads. By the way, the Romans built 250,000 uh, miles of roads to cover their empire. And that's enough roads to go around the world almost 10 times. That's a lot of hard labor. Uh, they worked long hours in hot fields and they did minings, uh, mining in dark quarters. In, on the other hand, in the New Testament world, however, many slaves did what we would consider regular jobs uh, for wages and were fairly treated and were members of respectable households. Uh, they were commercial business agents and managers, teachers, secretaries, uh, copiers of manuscripts and government administrators. And we know one of them. His name was Felix. Uh, he was a, a freedman. Uh, slaves could receive wages and save up uh, to buy their their freedom, a process we call uh, manumission. Um, if you're interested in more on the history of that, let me know and I can uh, I can share an article with you from my website. Some slaves uh, became famous like Epictetus. Uh, he was a Stoic uh, philosopher eventually who was born in the time of Paul. Uh, he worked for Epaphroditus, who was the secretary to the Emperor Nero. And his book, The Enchiridion, is still in print today. You can buy a copy. It's also known as The Art of Living, the classical manual on virtue, happiness, and effectiveness. Uh, he did a lot of things in his life, and he went on to establish his own school in Nicopolis. Let me just give you a couple of examples uh, of his wisdom. He re Epictetus really is the author of the original serenity prayer. He said, happiness and freedom begin with a clear understanding of one principle. Some things are within our control and some things are not. It is only when we learn to distinguish between what you can and can't control that inner tranquility and outer effectiveness become possible. That sound familiar? Well, it's almost 2,000 years ago that was written by a slave. On knowing and doing two things very important to Jesus, he said, don't tell others about your philosophy. Don't try and teach them. Embody it. Uh, I think that sort of resonates as well. So if all of these truths fail to convince you, at least we can learn by their example. But I think what is most compelling of all, perhaps, is that Scripture says that we are all slaves of Christ. Uh, we belong to him. Uh, he has bought us. And Paul frequently described himself as a slave of Christ. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And Jesus purchased uh, his church uh, with his own blood. We, all, we may also object to the fact that work is simply a consequence of the fall, right? We're all being punished. That's why we have to go to work. Well, let me suggest two compelling reasons why that isn't true. First of all, God gave us work to do prior to the fall, to tend the Garden of Eden and to take care of all the animals, animal husbandry. Uh, it says the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And God brought all the animals uh, and Adam uh, gave names uh, to, to, the, to the animals. He, God brought them to see what Adam was his job to name all the animals. That's a huge job. Secondly, uh, and perhaps more importantly, God's creative nature is to work. Uh, we are created in his image. We love because God is love. We are holy because God is holy. And we work uh, because God, our father, works. Jesus said of his father, my father is working until now 
and I myself am working. Also, uh, it's amazing to me that work and skills are a gift from God. Did you know that uh, the first man to ever be filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible? What was it for? His name was Bezalel, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and all kinds of skill to make the tabernacle. Incredible, isn't it? Um, Hebrews 8 uh, makes this amazing statement about Jesus and his obedience to God and doing his work. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. The perfect son of God learned obedience. That's an amazing statement, really. Um, so Ephesians 6, 4 starts with this, this command for us to obey. Now, the idea here in obedience comes from hearing. That's the root word where we get the word acoustics from. So how do you obey somebody if you don't know what they want you to do? Well, the first thing you have to do is, is hear what they want you to know. So we can show God how well we're listening to him by how well we're listening to our employers and what uh, they want us to do. And we should do what they ask. I would say as long as it's not contrary to the will of God or contrary to the laws of the land. Now, the problem we're having with that is what the laws of the land are increasingly out of tune with God's law. But if my boss were to ask me to paint his office wall purple with green polka dots, is that illegal? No. Is it immoral? No. Is it against the law of God? No. Do I like it? Do you like it? No. Okay. But you would do it because that's what you've been asked to do and that's what you're being paid to do, right? The idea of fear here is where we get our word phobia, but it embodies the idea of respect for God and those who are over us. A sincerity is a singleness of mind, a personal integrity expressed in words or actions, simplicity, uprightness and frankness. Essentially, what you see is what you get. Uh, we obey uh, with a sincere heart. Uh, working as to Christ is a matter of our heart. And uh, in verse six, as we'll note, literally what it says is, is from your soul. We work as to Christ, who is God's anointed, the Lord of lords, king of kings and the boss of bosses. I love this uh, parallel saying here in Colossians three. Paul said, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Uh, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Jesus certainly is the best boss that we can possibly have. Kind and compassionate, strong and forgiving, challenging and joyful. He's the greatest example of pleasing God. He said, and he who sent me is with me. Uh, he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He is the greatest teacher, the hardest worker and the best leader by example. Jesus, of course, has done the hardest job that anyone has ever done on earth by dying for us. In verse 6, Paul says, We work not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from our heart. The root word here is where we get uh, eye from, ophthalmology, and service. Uh, the same uh, root as the word uh, slave or bond servant. So eye service then would be serving with a, a goal of impressing uh, somebody else instead of uh, from the sincerity of our heart. And the parallel idea here was uh, with men pleasers, okay? It's pleasing men as opposed uh, to pleasing God. Of course, we know you can please uh, some of the people some of the time. Uh, what, how does that go? You can please some of the people 
all the time and all the people some of the time. You can't please them all all the time. Okay, so you have a real problem if you want to if you want to do that. And I worked with the guy who, who tried that, you know, and it was just so frustrating to watch. But we are slaves of Christ, bought by him, um, sought by him, redeemed by him and trained by him and equipped by him. And working with him is so, such uh, a much uh, more appealing goal. His grace works in us, as Paul said. Uh, it's the grace of God uh, that works in me. He says, do the will of God from your soul. Doing is so important to Jesus. He says that if you want to know the truth uh, in John 7:17. 17, Go ahead and do uh, the will of God, and then you will know of my teaching, whether it's of God or I speak from myself. Uh, It's what he wants to happen in real objective terms. uh, God wants us to let our light shine before men in such a way that they can see our good works and glorify God. And we do this out of the soul, from the very center, uh, from the core of our beings. In uh, Titus, Paul makes this incredible statement at the end of his instruction to, to slaves so that they will adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior in every respect. The idea here is literally that you draw attention to this, uh, that you, you, you show people the beauty of God's teaching uh, by the life that you are living. And I think if we do this, we'll be surprised that uh, people respect us. Uh, they may even come to us uh, for advice. And I think the core of this idea is that they will see God's teaching in action. And they may be curious, curious enough to know um, where, where does that come from? You know, where do you get that? Uh, we may have opportunities to help people and, and to pray for them. The idea in verse 7 uh, of rendering goods, uh, will, with goodwill render services to the Lord and not to men is literally from the words uh, for good and thinking. Um, we do good things, we think about them, and this is uh, at the core of our, of our work. And we are serving here um, in relationship to God and to others, as to the Lord and not to men. God is the ultimate authority over us. Uh, Peter says this incredible, challenging thing, I think, when he talks about this. He says to do this even to those who are unreasonable. And the word that he uses there is where we get the word scoliosis, to those who are even crooked and dishonest. Now, we shouldn't do things that are that way, but he says we we have to do our best even uh, to listen to them. So whatever we do from Monday to Friday, we know that God is always with us. Um, If you're a person who responds to hearing, think about his words. If you're a person who is uh, who gets it through visualization, you know, set your eyes on Jesus, as the uh, as the Hebrew writer says. Now, your co-workers can't see Jesus, right? But they can see you. They can't hear him, uh, but they can hear you. And so um, through your example in the workplace, they're going to uh, they're going to see the work of God. Paul says in Philippians, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Uh, The Lord is near. Um, He's with us in our work. He says in verse eight, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Um, Knowing is a conscious thing that we do. And the reward is uh, is there for all the good we do, no matter how big or how small. And Peter said of Jesus, of course, that he was one who went about uh, doing good. 
Good here pertains to the highest standard, the best that we can possibly do. As I saw in a little uh, notice once at the Deer Lodge Hospital, it says, the true test of character is the good we do uh, when no one is looking. But we know that God is always looking, um, and we are going to receive back uh, the reward from him. You know, people, we often, most always associate work with money, right? But God uh, doesn't always do that. How much was God paid for creating the universe? How much did Jesus receive as a wage for his service on earth? Um, Paul said um, to, the Th- to the Thessalonians, he worked day and night to not be a burden. Um, our elders work extremely hard without a wage. They work with God for you. Uh, but the wages uh, that God is talking here about are eternal. Finally, Paul says, and masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality uh, with him. So the masters are to treat their employers, their slaves in the same way, with reverence for God and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not to please your superiors, as to the Lord with goodwill, doing good, expecting your reward from the Lord and doing it impartially. Uh, give up threatening. I've actually seen this in management training you know, and coaching. You see it a lot in coaching, right? How you get results is you have to be mean to people, right? That's how you get them to perform. Well, I never found that to work terribly well for people who work for me. And I don't like it as a method, you know, over, when I have that kind of treatment from somebody over my, uh, my work. Would you notice in this passage that every verse contains a reference uh, to Jesus and his father? In verse 6, we work as, as to Christ. We are slaves of Christ. We render service as to the Lord. In verse 7, in verse 8, we receive back from the Lord. And in verse 9, their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no impartiality uh, with him. Um, think about uh, this Jesus um, who we serve. Um, he did hard, skilled labor uh, when he was young. There was a, a building boom in Galilee uh, at that time. He's the most creative worker of all time. God created the universe uh, through him. He took three years to train 12 men to lead a global movement to transform the world. Yet he is humble and gentle and gives rest to those who labor. He was the greatest teacher that ever lived. He taught so people could visualize and hear the outcomes of his teaching. He gave homework assignments. He challenged people to think and to change their lives. He taught thousands of people how to live. He was a zealous religious reformer in Israel, revealing the true meaning of God's law. Jesus did the hardest job that ever could be done and that he suffered the ultimate humiliation innocently and unjustly. From the cross, he asked God to forgive those who crucified him. He died a painful death for our sins and was raised to sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven to send us the Holy Spirit to govern the nations, to hold the future in his hand, and to intercede and pray to God for us uh, every moment of the day. When we're immersed into Jesus, uh, we receive uh, his Holy Spirit, Um, He becomes our Lord and Master. If he's not your Lord and Master today, and you're ready to commit your life to him and become his servant forever, we encourage you to do that today and enter into the employ of the best boss that you could ever have. 
Jesus is your master, the Lord of lords and king of kings. He holds up, upholds everything by the word of his power. He holds the entire universe together in his hand. He works in and through his people. He has all power and authority over all people and nations. And I believe that he's the only one who has ever existed, who could handle all power and all authority. You know what it does to people, but he can handle it with gentleness and humility for the good of everyone. This is the Jesus we work with. This is the Jesus we work for. This is the Jesus we work to. And this is the Jesus who has promised to be with us always. Whatever you do, do your work heartily from the depth of your soul as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Thank you.